Hello and welcome to the Agricultural Accounting Podcast, a special podcast today which I am delighted to be hosting. It's going to be with the Old Mill Accountants, Tax and Financial Planners who are an award-winning business success story. They have over 250 highly trained and qualified staff and today I'm delighted to be joined by two of them. I'm joined by Mark Seeger from the Rural Services Division in Wales. Mark, having gained an agricultural degree at Harpers Adams University College and qualifying as a Chartered Certified Accountant in 2007, Mark joined Old Mill in 2014. As an accountant, he combines running the family farm with the challenge of managing a portfolio of agricultural businesses. And I'm also joined by Catherine Vickery from Rural Tax Services. She began her tax career in 1999 and joined the tax planning team in 2006. She works on innovative tax planning arrangements. We're gonna find out more about those a little bit later and specialises in owner-managed businesses and capital taxes. With many farmers having to think laterally to survive and with farm diversification becoming increasingly commonplace, I'm excited to find out more today about some of the challenges they face. In fact, more than half of England's 57,000 farms have diversified in some form or another. Of course, diversification can also bring with its opportunities, particularly through additional revenues, but these can come with various tax consequences. Farming often brings unique tax beliefs as well, and the tax rules within this sector are complex and constantly changing, and diversification makes this no easier. However, we hope today, with these two rural experts at my side, we hope we can help you to be able to navigate through the diversification tracks more successfully. So welcome Catherine and welcome Mark. Good afternoon. So I'm gonna dive straight in with my first question here. Five quick questions. Now, many of your clients are at the cutting edge of farming and diversification. So with this in mind, can I ask how you typically support your clients? In general, it's proactive advice um, in dealing with the client, not only from a tax perspective, but also from a family perspective. Ultimately, family farming families are sort of quirky by nature. Um, and coming from rural backgrounds, we are able to understand those quirks not only from the family perspective, but also with the tax implications thereafter. So being quirky, what sort of challenges does this throw up from an accounts and tax perspective? I guess one of the biggest challenges we face when we're looking at um, family farming enterprises is uh, farmers will take a lot a longer term view of what they think um, the future of the farm should look like, whereas any other business might have a five-year plan or a ten-year plan, um, a farming business may well have a, a generational plan. This is what we want for, for the children and then the next generation after that as well. So we might be looking at a 50-year plan, a very long, much longer term. Any of the projects they're looking at putting in place might not come to come into profit for another sort of 20 years but they'll know that after that point you know the the business will run really really well so the the planning is a lot longer term quite often we're finding it's very kind of capital intensive so they're having to borrow heavily from banks means we get to um, work with a lot of bank managers on sides of things looking at financing some some really interesting exciting projects it is a really long time. Are there any important change areas coming up that either you or your clients or perhaps other rural accounting or tax professionals should be aware of? I, I think the, the biggest item that's being talked about at the moment is Brexit. Okay. Um, I think Brexit is going to make a lot of change at some point, but the reality is we don't know what that change is. 
the the advice that we're hearing is is actually ignore Brexit. Let's focus on the businesses and get your business running as best as you can. Um, Brexit will happen. There's no changing the fact that it's going to happen. Um, crack on and focus on your business and get it done. You can ultimately only plan for what you know today. Sure. Um, and in that very instant, um, you've got to look at your core business and make sure that is running correctly to start with. Once that is then running smoothly, you can then look at the opportunities that I think will be thrown up with Brexit. Mm-hmm. And there ultimately will be opportunities. There'll be farmers that see Brexit as a means of getting out of the industry because there's no succession, which will open up doors of opportunities for those that wish to get bigger and improve with economies of scale um, because that is ultimately one way in order to see the future of farming is through economies of scale. Sure so if I came to you and you gave me a 50-year plan presumably although we don't know what the impacts of Brexit are going to be but you Mm. would have that in your long-term planning strategy. Absolutely Um, and whenever we're we're talking with farmers, farmers tend to see themselves as the guardians of the land. Sure. They don't see it as something that they own that they could cash in at some point in the future and and have the capital from. They see it as they are the guardians to pass to the next generation to be able to make a living from it now and help to kind of make sure that it's a sustainable um, farm going forwards for for the next generation. So as far as a farm coming to you then, do you typically get involved in the process, you know, before your clients are looking at alternative revenue streams or after they've already been selected and implemented? We would rather be involved at the beginning (laughs) of the the process um, because particularly with a lot of projects, you've got to get them set up right at the start. Uh, There's different ways that you could set up a diversification project. You might want to run it through the farming enterprise business, the core business, or there may be reasons why you might want to run it separately through a a separate company or something like that. There'd be uh, very genuine reasons why a business structure might be right for one person but not right for another family. So from that point of view, if we can get in right at the very beginning of a planning process, then uh, we can make sure the structure is correct up front because um, it's far easier to get stuff right now than have to change it after the it's already been set up. So the planning stage is, is really important? Absolutely crucial. Very much so. And at Old Mill, we like to think that we're sort of proactive in that f- advice from the very outset to make sure that, my favourite phrase being, you know, all our ducks are in a row in order to sort of implement the plan that we put in place. Now, I know that farmers work to very tight margins. Um, I come from a farming background myself. My dad's a farmer. My father-in-law's a farmer. So I know some of the margins they have to work in, particularly for dairy farmers, given the, uh, the current milk crisis as well. What are the other main unique tax reliefs and rules available to businesses within the sector that they can maximise? One of the key aspects that we find with the, the, our farming businesses is uh, the volatility. A farming business can be very volatile, and it, often it's due to circumstances outside the farmer's control, whether that's milk price or whether it's the, the price of beef or you know the, the costs that might be associated with it, cost of feed for, for the animals. With that volatility, and you get such a range, um, there are specific reliefs to help with that. Uh, we've got farmers averaging, um, which means that um, where clients have really high profits one year, but then they may find they have losses the next or far smaller profits, we've got both two-year averaging, and we've also got the far newer five-year averaging, which actually just smooths out the profit. So 
in, an, in a high profit year, they might be paying tax at 40%. The next year, if they're making losses, uh, they may not pay any tax at all. But by using averaging, we can actually make sure that the whole of the profit would only be taxed at 20% overall. So we're just smoothing out that tax process. So a lot of what we're doing is, is looking at maximising um, farmers' averaging relief. Yeah, we'd also look at sort of when we're talking about proactive advice for pre-year-end planning. So when we look at the core business, we would look at um, any plant machinery purchases in the year in order to look at utilising the maximum annual investment allowance of 200000 every time um, in order to smooth out the potential tax liabilities um, linked with the five years averaging. I think one of the things that we, another relief that we look at, particularly with our diversification projects, would be um, whether that can be set up using an enterprise investment scheme. So an enterprise investment scheme has got very specific reliefs up for it. It means that if you had a capital gain on another asset that had been sold, um, say you'd sold a cottage on the edge of the farm or also an investment asset, you could roll any capital gains into the new project and it could be done through an EIS project. Particularly useful if you've got outside investors also putting some money in. It can be very attractive to an outside investor because um, they'll get 30% income tax relief on any money that they put into such a project. Or there's an even smaller version of the scheme called a CDIS and the the tax relief is 50% on that. So uh, if you're looking to um, start a a new diversification project and it does fit within the rules for EIS or CDIS, then it can be very valuable um, to be able to attract the investors by using these tax reliefs. That's something I didn't know. It makes it well worthwhile pitching out for customer investments. We've we've done some of those, particularly farm shops. We've done farm shops that qualify. And I've done a butcher's as well. Um, So it's it's those sorts of things where you can really uh, get some good tax relief. Great. Now, I know speaking off-air, if you like, that um, there are some clients and some of the work here that you find really, really exciting. Can you enlighten the listeners a little bit about some of the really cool stuff get involved in? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I've a lot of the work that I've been doing, which has been quite exciting from my point of view and very sort of on the, the cutting edge side, is um, the work with renewables. We've um, I was very excited with one of my clients to um, set up one of the very early wind parks, okay. and uh, I got heavily involved in it so much so that I was having meetings uh, with the solar installers and I was learning all about inverters and uh, mm-hmm. exactly how all that works and making sure we had grid connections and that was that was really really interesting stuff um, and just seeing the the financial side of it how that money that they're going to get from from that solar park and generating that that electricity is they're going to support the the entire farming enterprise now and so that's that's been exciting we've had that we've also had um, clients put up wooden turbines we've looked at um, anaerobic digesters we've got clients that have done that side of it and particularly where we're getting involved at the very early stages and we're helping the clients with the cash flows um, and understanding how that project is actually going to fit within the rest of their farming operation sure Um, it's been exciting times i know that so I'm a farmer at the moment, it must be quite easy to suddenly come up with schemes for diversification. I'm sure there's many options that farms can, can take, but at the same time, there must be a number of potential tax pitfalls 
that farming diversification could bring with it as well. So mm. it's very easy to come up with an idea, much harder to implement it and make, make it tax effective. And I know that it can also impact on both VAT and inheritance tax reliefs, if I'm correct. So I don't know if I am right on that, but are there any other pitfalls perhaps a farmer, if I'm listening to this now, should be aware of? VAT is an area that um, can be complex and needs to be thought about thoroughly. Um, one from whether you wish to be charging VAT onto your customer for a holiday let um, scenario, for instance, whether you actually wish to either increase your prices by 20% or take 20% less profit. So it does. you do need to think about the structure in that respect. How about inheritance tax? Inheritance tax uh, can be pretty critical. Some diversification projects that we've seen, say I've got clients that have uh, converted farm buildings into um, commercial lets. Very lucrative from an income point of view, but it does mean that you're letting those properties out, you're losing your agriculture and business property relief on them. Um, so while you may get um, better income uh, during the lifetime of the project, uh, those assets will no longer qualify for the very valuable inheritance tax reliefs. And so that can be a particular downside for some clients. That's not to say that all is not lost. Um, sure. We can put in planning ahead of them doing those sorts of projects to enable us to lock in the benefits of those inheritance tax reliefs. But the key for those is to make sure that we're talking with the clients and getting that kind of planning in place before they actually sure. go ahead and it, do those projects. So it links back to that, that mm-hmm. how critical that early planning section is. Absolutely. Now, in preparation for this podcast, I did take a look at the Farmer's Guardian to find a little bit more about some of the diversification success stories that are out there. Some of the initiatives I saw ranged from film on a farm to dog training schools to cider vinegar production. What are some of the best or creative diversification success stories that you've supported? Um, some of the ones we come across are sort of slightly more run-of-the-mill and not uh, so extravagant as uh, the ones you mentioned, but um, farm shops, yeah. commonplace, um, and always sort of looking at or where sort of they're looking to do a niche market, um, ice cream or galetto as we're looking at it at the moment. So, you know, there are those niche markets. And covered with that, you've also got, you know, the utilisation of farm buildings, which might be one holiday let, two, I've got someone uh, recently looking at a children's nursery and applying for grants off the back of that and liaising with the, the trustees um, in order to put together a business proposal. Right. So those are some of the more sort of glamorous ones um, <laughs> that we end up dealing with. And you mentioned solar and wind turbines as well. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's becoming far more viable um, and sustainable as a project and a lot of farms might combine that with some of the other projects that they've got on. I've got one client that's uh, got a a rather nice wedding venue and they want their wedding venue uh, which is a beautiful estate to be seen as kind of a sustainable environmentally friendly sort of event. So across all business areas, not just tax um, and accounting, but we're seeing a huge rise in RPA or robotic process automation. I did see an article where robots are also affecting the milking industry. Can you give me a little bit more insight into robots for milking? Yeah, robots for milking um, are coming about, one, because we're linking back to Brexit and the shortage of labour and good labour at that. So therefore, um, technology is one means of reducing the labour requirement on farm. And therefore, we're seeing the, you know, more and more farmers putting in robots, um, which ultimately is, you know, is efficient. They get more milk out of the cow, making better use of their farming assets. 
Uh, we we took our, our whole rural team, um, which I think would have been about 60 of us, uh, to one of our clients' farms uh, where they have robots installed. We wanted to make sure that all of our staff had knew, knew how they operated, had actually seen one in operation, so that when our clients phone up and want to find out more information about it, we've actually seen one Great. that we can talk about. Um, and not only that, we've been able to um, recommend some of our clients go and have a look at it as well. And so we actually link clients up together, so from different parts of the country sometimes, so that they can see these things in operation. It really helps us sort of put us forward as, as the experts in this area if we can put our clients in the position to go and have a look at one in operation. Sure, a bit of a hidden benefit that's uh, Absolutely. free. Absolutely, yeah. yeah and it's, it's vital that all of our staff um, know about the, the technologies that are out there that might be able to help the clients. Great. I know that land development is also a big issue at present. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of the land development changes or initiatives you're seeing at the moment? We're seeing an awful lot of land development uh, at at present. Uh, There'd been a number of projects that I guess had gone very quiet and stalled over recent years. But I would say in the last two or three years, the, that market is becoming far more active. Now, this is where the government are pushing the fact that we need more houses and councils are acknowledging this and uh, opening up their, their thoughts and producing their development plans um, and looking for, for more land bank in order to do that. I guess the, the interesting areas are that where it always used to come down to looking at option agreements and a developer would take out an option agreement uh, with a farmer or landowner. Uh, we're seeing a bit of a move away from that. We're now seeing that a lot of farmers are getting offered promotion agreements instead. And a, a promotion agreement is a little bit more like an estate agent. So the promoter would come in and say to the farmer, I will help get your land ready for sale, I will help get planning permission on your land, I will do all of that process, I've got that expertise, but what I want out of it is a percentage of the final sales price. Sure. And so, um, as opposed to an option agreement, where the developer will say, well, we'll do all the work, we want to be able to buy that land at call it 85% of the market value, then they have a big argument at the end of the day about what market value is. A promotion agreement, uh, you're, you and your promoter are both very much arguing on the same side and are trying to achieve the highest price possible. So we're seeing that alignment between the landowner and the person getting the planning permission. They're trying to make to maximise value for both of them. So it's becoming a lot more popular. And I, I guess, you know, some of the tax reliefs that we're looking at when we're selling land, generally we're looking at utilising entrepreneur's relief, which will mean that we pay tax at 10% rather than 20%. And to do that, often we have to structure transactions in a particular way. We may have to link that with passing the farm down to the next generation or moving it to a new business structure or something along those lines. And it, it may well affect how we actually structure the, the sale of the land as well, whether we sell it all in one tranche or whether we may sell it in different parcels over the so, next few years. So the recommendation really then is, is if I'm a farmer and I get approached about this, one of these promotional options mm. is to contact you at that stage Absolutely. straight away to maximise the benefits. Absolutely. It all comes back to planning at an early stage. Um, the sooner we can be involved in that process, the better, because you know, there may be a structure that actually we might need a 12-month lead time to put some plans in place, make some changes to be able to reduce that tax. 
and so the earlier we can uh, do that the better. It sounds like quite an exciting tax planning area to be involved in. Absolutely. Variety of work. I love it. You know, the the numbers are the numbers are chunky, the numbers are um big big savings for clients and you know there may be quite a lot of work and sort of clever ideas involved in there but the savings make it really really worthwhile so that's that's what drives me personally i really enjoy being able to get some really good tax savings for our clients excellent fantastic so now we're going to come away from the question just for a moment to give listeners a little bit of a break we're going to find out a little bit more about you both time to find out more about you so just to kick us off with question one, how would your work colleagues describe you? And I'll start with you, Mark. Generally bubbly, happy-go-lucky, and quite work very hard. I think that probably sums me up. <laughs> I should have asked you to describe each other. Though, <laughs> 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 that probably would have been easier. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's pretty fair, Mark. You, you're pretty happy generally. In most part. Keep, keep the team happy. Yeah. How about yourself, then, Catherine? You can correct a mark if the uh, description isn't yeah, correct. Yeah, Mark can join in. I would say I'm probably overexcitable, get ridiculously overexcited with some of my tax planning ideas. Um, I have been nicknamed the tax nerd, um, <laughs> but I don't think that's a bad title to have. What about <laughs> something you can tell the listeners that perhaps other people won't know about you? That's you, Mark. I'm generally quite shy, actually, which probably comes across in this podcast. So, yeah, other than that, I'd probably put on a bit of a face and probably a bit bubbly to um, sort of compensate for that. OK. How about yourself, Catherine? People would never really have me down as a very enthusiastic camper, but I love camping. Uh, there's nowhere happier that I'd rather be than in my tent. And I've got quite a selection of tents. Um, I've just downsized. I used to have five tents. Wow. This year I'm down to three. But my summers, as soon as the weather's good, I will spend it in my tent out camping. So tell us something about Old Mill that perhaps listeners won't know. It's a good place to work on the basis that there are no glass ceilings with your career. I joined four years ago and have seen my career um, grow exponentially since I joined which is, you know, I wouldn't have seen that anywhere else. On the basis I've been to two other firms previous to this, I have found my, my home for accountancy and being able to make a difference to farmers, which is what I essentially wanted to join to do. Brilliant. Anything you'd like to add to that, Catherine? I think the aspect that I like the most is the, the passion that everyone shows. Everyone comes here and they really want to, to do their best um, and help clients to absolutely thrive whether it's getting their accounts done and helping talk them through the figures or coming up with some exciting tax planning ideas or even if it's just being there to listen to clients when they're talking about some of the the problems that may be affecting them just being there to listen and help make a few suggestions but it's it's that passion there's there's very little apathy within the firm usually in firms there's people that just want to come in do their job go home but the enthusiasm that I see and the passion here is absolutely fantastic. There aren't many firms where you get the opportunity to go to a farm and watch 60 uh, or six, take 60 people to a farm rather to watch robotic milking in action. <laughs> <laughs> That's the essence of it right there. It's great. Okay, so a little bit off the wall here. You are both abducted by aliens who want to learn more about our species. What would you tell them about humans? They're pretty dull, really. <laughs> 
We're not that much fun. We can be, I suppose. Well, I, I, th- I think we're an odd bunch. We are, yeah, exactly so, that, not, you see. I, I don't think we're dull. I don't think we're dull at all. But I, I don't <laughs> think... Perhaps um, that's an accountant talking there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> perhaps I should be the farmer in me. The farmer in me would sort of like a bit of get up and go, a bit of spirit. I'll say an inventive as well. An inventive. Yeah, yeah, very much. No, very resourceful. Very resourceful. Yeah, Yeah, very much so. I would agree. You may have answered the next question already then, Mark, which is what (laughs) trait do you hold back? That's probably that we're a bit dull. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, don't tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll go with that. I'll take that as the answer. (laughs) Well, so we're going to delve back into the questions. Five technical questions. Currently, what are the biggest challenges for your rural and agricultural clients? Um, In this particular climate, it's cash flow um, at the moment where commodity prices are, you know, are so volatile. And at the moment, we're coming off the back of low milk price, low grain price. um, And therefore, cash is always king in cash is tight. There's a big black hole to replenish at the moment. So therefore, when we've been looking at jobs and, you know, looking at, uh, diversification projects or expansion financing has always been quite difficult um, and therefore we've looked at what they've borrowed in the past and we've had to sort of renegotiate the financing terms to either have a capital holiday repayment or to put it, you know, make the terms of the financing over a longer period of time but cash is definitely the, uh, the challenge at, at present. Is that more challenging with Brexit on the horizon? Potentially yes but ultimately you know, at the end of the day, it's history that's dictated the cash challenges and the fact that farmers are price takers rather than price makers. Um, and therefore, you know, we struggle as, as an industry. We're at the bottom of the food chain. When it comes to the money we receive and the margin we receive, there's always someone sort of taking their slice of the cake. I mean, ultimately, what is left is very slim pickings. And that's where farmers have got to be more efficient in, in watching their cost of production. You've got first-hand experience of this as well, I believe. You've got your own farm. Yeah, we've got our own farm, and as you can tell by the, the state of the fingers, where I've got foot rot spray um, <laughs> under the fingernails. Yeah, we've just finished lambing at home. I think I've got one token ewe left to lamb. Might have only 100 ewes, but um, all the same, it just keeps the, uh, the interest, and that's where the interest and the passion comes from. It's a family farm, about 200 acres. We've also got a, um, some solar panels ourselves, which we lease out the ground to a third party. Um, which is probably the best crop I've ever grown of solar panels, <laughs> to be honest, at the end of the day. But, you know, always looking at, since i come out of Harper Adams, always looked at wanting to go farming um, and still looking at going farming. Um, and the current sort of uh, cash flows that are on the, the laptop as we speak are for sort of putting in some laying hens and um, looking at rearing beef. But, yeah, always looking at whatever opportunity arises in order to go farming. That's got to be invaluable for your clients, knowing that you've actually got that background. It's very easy sometimes to give the answers, but unless you're living it and doing it, it's a whole different kettle of fish, right? So, Correct. That's where, you know, the, the passion and the interest comes from. And you can relate, relate to farmers, you know, what's going on in the current industry. So when farmers are coming to you going, you know, the, with their woes, you can um, sympathise with them and ultimately give them... Um, suggestions on how to manage their business because you're living and breathing it yourself. Uh, things like, you know, people tend to, or farmers tend to, do too much doing rather than managing their business. And that is one thing that, you know, we see that comes through in the figures 
um, is when you've got a client that is spends too much in the track, too much time in the track door in the pit of the parlour. Their figures sort of reflect that because they're not in the office and managing their business, where they can probably have more of an impact on their business sure. than by doing the the okay. doing. Head down rather than head Correct. up. Correct. Indeed. That's what they come to you guys, right? So. Yeah, I think, right. and I think, I think the industry is changing as well. I think farmers are realizing that they've got to manage things more carefully, and it didn't. It's not just about can they milk the cows. It's actually can they manage the staff. Can they manage the costs and that side of it? it it's a business, not a life. Yeah, and that links back to your cash flow as a challenge. Very much so. So how, how's that financial advice that you give to your clients today then? How does that differ from what you may have given five years ago or ten years ago? I wouldn't necessarily say the message hasn't necessarily changed. It's probably got more even more poignant okay. um, than it has changed because, you know, like every business, you've got to look at the cost of production. You've got to look at sort of modernising your farm, you know, and that has always been the case. What has probably happened in the past is people have, you know, commodity prices have been low, so therefore farmers kept their hands in their pockets, haven't necessarily reinvested, and now it's come to the point where the parlour needs reinvestment or they need a, you know, the combine needs replacing, and it's now where that's where the cash is now even squeezed even more because not only have they got to, you know, find the cash to service the current debt but they're probably looking to borrow even more in order to make that big reinvestment in order to continue for the next generation sure. and as farmers we say that we farm for the next generation and that links to your 50-year planning you're about absolutely yeah so what would you say with the recent changes that affect agricultural property tax and this property relief within your client base are they well known how do you make your clients aware we, we talk to a lot of our clients um a lot of them are already aware about agriculture and business property reliefs. Uh, those are, are reliefs that are, are pretty standard for them to look at claiming. The difficulty that we are finding now, where a lot of clients have uh, gone through um, changes in business structures um, or looking at diversifying into some of the more interesting projects, is that the reliefs might not cover all of the value of their farm these days. Um, particularly if, uh, as Mark's done, they, they've leased out some land for, for solar. That land, had they had their, their flock of sheep grazing it, would have been um, outside of their estates for inheritance tax purposes with the, the use of those reliefs. Now they're just renting that land out. There's no agricultural use of that land. Um, so all of a sudden, what may have been, you know, call it 100 acres that would have got inheritance tax relief, it may have saved uh, £400,000. If it now qualifies for no reliefs at all, um, that's a £400,000 inheritance tax liability they're facing. Wow. Uh, so, you know, the numbers can be really sizable. We, we have to look at how we can plan ahead um, to make sure that the farm is all there for the next generation it's in its entirety. The, the key, the downside, where some of the di- diversification projects are going ahead is that the loss of these reliefs might mean that if someone were to die, a part of the farm may actually have to be sold off in order to fund the inheritance tax liability. Um, so, you know, and each time the part has to be sold off, that's less that's there to, to generate cash to support it. I see a common theme here, it links back to the planning Planning, planning, Absolutely, planning. yeah. How important do you think it is that clients partner with a professional in order for them to maximise their benefits? I would always say that it's always good to buy in the services of professionals in order to maximise any grant or minimise any tax at the end of the day because ultimately 
those professionals will be dealing with those sorts of cases on a day in day out basis and will be in the best position to um, position um, your projects um, in order to maximise any grant potential in the long run. Okay, great. And with the inevitable changes in subsidies, um, you mentioned a little bit about land earlier, property development, Brexit-led implications we talked about. What are the main changes that you've had to make your clients aware of, or what are the main challenges you see ahead? I think one of the key challenges is just going to be uh, where subsidies come down. A lot of our farmers are relying on subsidies at present uh, to, to be able to turn a profit. Uh, I think it's going to be important to, for the farms to effectively wash their own faces going forwards and be able to get themselves in a position where they can live without those subsidies that, that may change through Brexit. I do think that uh, we are seeing a lot of diversification. I think that's a good thing. I think diversification means that you've, you've got more than one string to your bow. So if you've got uh, a dairy, um, milk price may be down, but then if you've also got holiday lets, which traditionally goes hand in hand often with farming, uh, you've got that other avenue. And the more different bits you can diversify into, the, the less reliant you are on one particular income stream. As a parent, I'm completely biased as well, because it makes those areas more accessible. You know, we get to go and see mm-hmm. the workings of farms and you can take your kids and enjoy the farm shop and eat more local produce and everything else. I think it's great. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think they're great places for kids. Uh, when I was little, uh, every summer we used to go and spend two weeks um, on a farm. Interestingly enough, uh, we've actually just taken that farm on as a client, right. uh, only within the last month. So um, I can't wait it's to go. Exciting. It's very exciting. I can't wait to go down and see the boys that I used to run around their farm naked with. Um. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of links a little bit to the last section of the podcast, which is finding a little bit more about why you both love accounting and tax, and perhaps some takeaways for those listening out there at the moment. Maybe things they can implement straight away. Entering the vault. What's the one piece of advice you would give to someone embarking on a career in rural tax or accounting right now? I would say that it's the passion for rural enterprises is the key to being a successful rural stroke tax accountant. Um, it's having that passion and interest that will make the difference to the client. And ultimately, if, you, if you've got that interest and there's a passion that comes across in your work. How about yourself, Kathleen? Mm. Would you like to add? I would agree. I think uh, having having that passion and enthusiasm, I don't think you necessarily have to have grown up on a farm all your life, but you have to have an interest in it. Sure. Um, you know, whether that might be uh, a, an enthusiasm for um, fantastic food that may well be grown sort of locally, making sure you're buying sort of beef from just down the road. Uh, I just think that that enthusiasm and passion for um, British products, um, I think, is is going to um, stand everyone in good stead. Do you think enough people that are doing their qualifications, whether it be financial or tax related, are coming out post-qualification and considering a career in rural accounting or tax? Bear in mind, they may have that passion, but may not consider it. Yeah, I think I think historically, farming has been seen as a, a bit of a backwater at times, and um, particularly here at Old Mill, it is I would say the the most vibrant and interesting area to work in. 
Um, a lot of our farmers are right there at the cutting edge. You know, we're dealing with some multi-million pound businesses. This isn't your 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 fifty cow farmer um, who's kind of sitting there pottering around on his tractor. We are dealing with some really sizable uh, enterprises. They're diversifying. They're starting up new projects. They're going out and borrowing millions of pounds from banks to uh, do some really really exciting stuff. And you know. From my point of view, it's the the excitement of working with some real entrepreneurs. Uh, that's, uh, I think, the, one of the biggest differences I find. Massively, it's being right. that trusted advisor around that kitchen table at the end of the day, and getting involved within that business, isn't it? Mm. In making a difference, it, mm. you know, that is what I think. That's what drives us all it's within the farming nice business. Table as well, you know, yeah. the farming community. <laughs> Generally, here's with the arger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Very much. You get to share the, the really yeah. nice sort of leg yeah. of lamb that they've grown yeah. on their own farm. It's quite good, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. perks. Mm. But I think, I think it's a point well made. I think perhaps um, people coming into the profession that underestimate just you know, how big some of the clients are that you manage, some mm. of the sums of money and the savings that can be made if, if, you know, with intelligent accounting or, or, or tax services. It's perhaps not the first industry that comes to mind when you're qualifying necessarily, but if you have a passion for rural accounting or rural tax is perhaps something they should be considering. It's, yeah, but you can also get involved, as we said before, it's like the 50-year plan, you get involved with the generations. Sure. So, you know, ultimately I may work for uh, a partner that deals with mum and dad, um, and there I come along the next generation of accountant helping the next generation of farmer. And in having that sort of um, depth um, that we have within Old Mill um, makes it sort of servicing a family that much more rewarding. Right. Um, and that, that is, you know, it's a fantastic place to to be, which is which is great. And your passion comes, both of your passion comes across for for that as well. So, with the benefit of hindsight, what would be the one career decision you would change? I'll start with you, Mark. Not joining Old Mill sooner. <laughs> and that that is no word of a lie. That, that that sounds really corny, I know. Um, but ultimately, where I've been in the past, I've been two other previous accountants, and I've hit brick walls. I haven't hit a brick wall as yet with an old mill in my career. Fantastic. And, that, and that's no word of a lie. Fair enough. How about yourself? Uh, if I'm honest, I would have actually really have liked to have spent a year or two when I was a lot younger abroad. Um, camping. Well, camping. Um, <laughs> I was actually thinking working, working abroad, uh, just because uh, I think that would have been really interesting. But I have to say, old mill... Uh, just feels like home. It's uh, such an exciting place to work. Um, I've been with a couple of other firms before this place um, and they just didn't have the passion and enthusiasm, um, which is what we find here. Great. Don't get me wrong, I still want a farm. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. The travelling thing I can resonate with, I don't want travelling either. I say to do it. One day. I haven't exercised feet. it yet. One day. <laughs> If you had the power of foresight and could change the entire rural tax industry or accounting industry with one action or improvement, what would that action or improvement be? I'll start with you, Kathy. Oh, that's a really tricky one. I think tax legislation surrounding, surrounding some of the farming reliefs is very, very vague. Um, and a lot of it has been built up through case law. We are finding that the revenue are taking a very tough stance at the moment and seem, in some cases, to be making the rules up as they go along. And we're finding we're having to push back a lot. I think um, clarity over some of those reliefs, yeah. I think, would be a key thing. 
I actually come across, and I have, I have another podcast called The Payroll Podcast, mm. where uh, I speak to the payroll leaders and they have a similar issue with the revenue. Mm. Um, it's, it seems to be a common theme at the moment. Absolutely. Simplification, I think. Simplification. Yeah. <laughs> We're perhaps doing ourselves out of a job, I don't know. Well, I, I know, that's the thing. I, I always worry, they keep talking about simplification, but that one day I might end up out of a job. Except for when I first started, I think there was two tax books um, full of legislation, and I think we're now up to six tax books of legislation. Wow. So although they mutter about simplification... Uh, it's only helped me do more and more work ever since. By simplifying it, they seem to make it more complicated, I think. <laughs> I'm still in a job. We're okay. <laughs> what, with the foresight, what change would you make? Oh. It would be simplification. <laughs> and, yeah, in order to understand the rules and to make it so that businesses can, can plan for the ever-changing legislation that we have. It's difficult to sometimes foresee what might be around the corner. But, you know, as we said earlier in the podcast, you know, plan, plan for what you know today. Um, but it'd be nice because we're dealing with such longevity of businesses sure. to be able to have that crystal ball. But then that's part of what we do, isn't it? If it you is. sort of mean to try yeah. and position, you know, a family business in the best possible means in order to cope with Whatever what might be around the corner. Be, yeah, exactly that. I might know the answer to this one, Mark, but in mind you have your own farm already. But if you didn't work in tax and accounting, what would you be doing? Farming! <laughs> <laughs> or abroad, actually. I, yeah, I must have been. Yeah, I, I do miss the travelling. It would be nice. Um, but no, at the end of the day, love the farm. Great. How about yourself, Catherine? Mm. I once saw what I thought was my perfect job. Uh, being advertised uh, completely, completely different to anything that I'm doing at the moment. I saw a job being advertised as a panda nurse. There was a, a panda nurse. Panda nurse. Wow. Yeah, there was a um, zoo out in China, and their breeding program had been so successful breeding pandas that they needed nurses to go out, and you got two pandas each, two baby pandas, and you had to bring up these pandas. Wow. I thought that would have been fabulous. It's definitely a bit different. I've never learned <laughs> learn something new, which is great. So, look, if I specialised in rural accounting or tax, but I was based in a city, and I was considering relocating to the countryside, mm-hmm. what would you say? What would be the, the things that you would use to entice me out of the city to come to the countryside and work for a firm like Old Mill? Well, you never have traffic problems on your commute. Uh, the only traffic problems I ever have are um, I've got some geese uh, that come out <laughs> from one of my neighbour's houses every single morning and cross the road. <coughs> and sometimes we might be four cars deep waiting for the geese to cross the road. And so I, that would be one key benefit, never any traffic problems. The open space and fresh air, yeah. and the ability to get in the countryside of a lunch break even, Great. Um, let alone the weekend or the evening, mm-hmm. and make the most of it. Um, enjoying the, the rural environment, mm-hmm. you can't beat it. You can't that. beat it. And no. particularly, particularly where I live as well, I'm a bit further south, and I can actually get down to the beach um, in the evenings after work, go and have fish and chips for supper on the beach enjoy watching the sunset I mean I'm, I'm asking a question that I've already converted I work <laughs> in St Albans but I live in Devon oh so wow I've relocated to the countryside for that very benefit I've quite got a, a commute quite a commute I do week on week off so 
But I, you know, if anyone is unsure about making that move, I've done it and I wouldn't change it for the world. And as you say, being able to go to the beach at lunchtime or after work, it's, uh, it's, it's quite amazing. If I was a CTA qualified corporate tax specialist and I wanted to transfer to handling rural or agricultural tax affairs, how challenging would this transition be if I didn't have that experience already? Um, and how would you sell rural tax to them? I think a lot of our work that we're doing at the moment, we're putting a lot of our clients into more corporate structures at the moment. I would love someone on the team who had more corporate tax experience. Uh, it's an area where um, we're getting um, more and more in depth and some of the corporate structures we're going into, it's not just a single corporate entity, we're looking at group structures. We really need someone with those skills. The, the rural side, you know, it was good if they've got that enthusiasm and interest in it, but they don't necessarily need any particular skills, just a, a willingness to sort of get stuck in, I would say. The, the rural side is something that we can help people with. We take all our staff out on farm tours, uh, so, so that bit can come. But I think it's, as long as they've got that enthusiasm to really get stuck into it, then you know, we'd be really keen to, to meet anyone who would love to come and, and meet with us. So the transition is, is, is quite possible? Oh, absolutely. Very much so. yeah. Yeah. I think, like you say, it's just having that passion, that willingness mm. to learn and ensconce yourself in all things rural. And if you've got those attributes, then I think the transition could be made quite quite easily. Absolutely. We're, you know, those sorts of skills are becoming more and more relevant um, to, to our farming businesses. Because uh, farming businesses, it would seem, are, are growing and becoming more complex. And someone in, in that area would probably already have all of the, the technical skills sure. that we would be looking for, just, just you know, help to build with the enthusiasm on the rural side. Applying that rural twang, isn't it? Yeah. At the end of the day. Great, fantastic. So you've both been with Old Mill for a number of years. Can you tell me what it is you love about the firm? Is there anything that makes this work environment unique, perhaps to a rural accounting competitor, or I don't know, some, a similar kind of environment? What makes, what makes it unique here? Unique here? It's always exciting. <laughs> We're part, we're part of a growing and dynamic team at the end of the day, which means that there's always opportunities. Um, we're dealing with great clients who are proactive, which always throws up those interesting projects um, to get involved with. So to me, we Old Mill in the southwest are at the forefront of rural accountancy and tax. I saw on your website that you um, were commending a lot of your clients winning various awards at the Agricultural I don't know the name of the awards, was, apologies, but there was a big award ceremony. Southwest Farmers Awards, and yeah, yeah no, we, you know, our clients do get you know voted um, and uh, four awards. And had a client myself for his beef rearing, um, so yeah, you know, we do have those proactive farmers in the industry, not not necessarily just on a financial basis, but you know, within the media as well. Mm -hmm. So you know, I think we've got a very good client base that wish to get involved and make you know make the future brighter yeah we've got a lot of clients that take an awful lot of pride in what they do um, and then we in turn kind of take a lot of pride in in their success um, and how we've been able to help them achieve it excellent so last question to finish what is it you love about rural tax and accounting let's start with you Catherine I love the fact that I can make a huge difference to my clients ultimately uh, there's an awful lot of clients out there that have businesses but there's not um, 
that many businesses that uh, go from generation to generation like they do in farming. And to be able to help those clients to achieve that passing down of that farm and then see the next generation being able to take on that farm, maybe do something slightly different with it, um, help it grow, uh, is just very exciting. Great. How about yourself, Mark? For me, being on the family farm, in having that family farm, in being to university, it's very much about putting something back into the industry. I get so much enjoyment out of it myself, um, being on the farm at home, being able to help others um, maintain that enjoyment on their family farms and for the next generation is a passion of where I want to be, is to help others. Brilliant, fantastic. And I think from someone outside of the sector as I am, listening in and learning as we go, I think the idea of being involved in a sector where you've got such diversification, there can't be that many other sectors that give you that opportunity. And not only that, you then go get the opportunity to experience it. If you launch mm. the farm shop or whatever it is you might be able to do, you can then take your team and experience the, uh, the results of that as well, which I think is great. Mark? I must admit, yeah, sorry. I'm just <laughs> leaving this podcast with quite a buzz, actually, for what <laughs> we do. <laughs> Good. With, with all honesty, I'm there going, yes, I want to get back to my desk and me have you Crack remember, on. Have you remembered why you love it? Yeah, I think I, think I have. <laughs> <laughs> Just been revitalised. They're not so dull. <laughs> no, exactly that. <laughs> well, listen, I want to take this opportunity to say a huge thank you, Mark and Catherine, for joining me today for this accounting and tax special podcast edition. Please do take a look at the Old Mill website. There's loads of resources. There's an update. There's more information about the Making Tax Digital as well that you can download and have a look at. There's also a number of events that Old Mill hosts um, in relation to... Uh, breakfasts and seminars and lunches and things you can join to find out more so please do take a look at that any further questions um, do either get in touch with Old Mill um, direct to their website or you can contact myself directly at nick at jgarecruitment.com I've enjoyed this podcast thanks so much for being with us and I'll speak to you all again very soon thank you thank you very much Nick